Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 507, with Chris Staples of Eat Restaurant Partners. So we empower all of our associates, from the dishwashers all the way up to the upper management, to live and breathe that philosophy of yes. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicsuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Christopher Staples. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling extremely unstoppable right now. Nice. That is what we like to yeah. hear. And uh, before we dive in deep, I just want to give a quick nod to my friends over at Aloft West uh, Richmond for putting me up for the past six days. And they didn't ask me to thank them in all these episodes but you know i'm super grateful for them and uh if you're ever in richmond go check them out good people over there yeah they are good people aren't yeah, they really. so <laughs> a richmond native after graduating from the university of virginia he bounced around the restaurant industry across the country before returning to richmond after three-year stint with firebirds he, he joined eat restaurant partners in april of 2009 after running wild ginger and then opening the blue go fat dragon in food dog chris became a partner alongside owners chris way and doo ren mefford together they have are overseeing nine unique concepts in total osaka wild ginger fat dragon food dog boulevard burger and brew juan gonzalez sorry wong gonzalez <laughs> uh it's so weird you want to say juan gonzalez so bad there but you do want to say <laughs> i see what you did uh beijing on grove red salt chop house and sushi and where we're sitting right now pizza and beer of richmond is this your newest it concept? is nice. we have in may 24th Gorgeous space, Affectionately man. called PBR. Happy to be here. Yeah, I dig it. So uh, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Well, our culture is really simple with E, and it's we are a culture of yes. And everything that we do is built on that one statement. What does that culture of yes mean? Dive into that. It's making sure that the guest experience is paramount and you achieve that by always finding a way to say yes to the guest. And a lot of times, it's without them having to ask for anything. Yeah. So anticipating the guest needs, getting out in front of their experience, and making sure that you have all your bases covered. And when a guest has a request, you always can figure out how to make that happen for them. So we empower all of our associates, from the dishwashers all the way up to the upper management, to live and breathe that philosophy of yes. I dig it, man. I wrote down a question. I'm going to put that in my back pocket. Though. I'll ask it later. And uh, when did you know this was going to be your career? I mean, you went to college twice, right? Were you studying hospitality any of this time? or I wasn't. Okay. And honestly, if I could go back and study or have a different focus, I would probably have studied psychology. Oh, man. I was hoping you would say something along the lines of sociology, psychology, or human studies. Uh, why? 
Well, I studied politics, international relations, some business, a lot of languages. I wanted to become well-rounded. At the time, I was in the restaurant industry sort of to supplement my education. Um, I was on my own, so I had to find something that could produce enough funds to keep me in school and keep a roof over my head and food in my stomach. And I really, really always gravitated towards the social aspect of being in the restaurant. Um, but I really thought I was going to do something like be a international businessman. Okay. Maybe a teacher one day. Go deeper. What What was it about the social aspect of the, the industry that really resonated with you? It, it's just being around people mm-hmm. and interacting with them. And I, it's become very clear to me that I enjoy making people happy mm. and seeing that reaction on their face. That's my dopamine. You know, that's, that's my, my, I like your post. You know, I don't, that's, that does it for me. Yeah. So to answer your question, it was when I was 30. Okay. That's when I knew I was living in Sarasota, Florida. I was working for Tommy Bahamas. Okay. They have some really nice tropical cafes. I've heard some really great things about Tony Bahamas. I usually steer away from the bigger corporations. I don't know why. There's just this, this thing about them where, I don't know. I like to focus on the smaller restaurant groups. Um, but what was it about to- Tony Bahamas that uh, really set in with you and really influenced you? Well, in 07, they only had... Actually, it was 06 when I started. They only had, I think, nine locations. Okay. And they were like Naples, Sedona, uh, uh, Newport Beach, Florida, yes. and then St. Armand Circle, which is part of Lido Key, right? Just the west coast of Sarasota. Their philosophy isn't that much different from the e- restaurant partner's philosophy. It was life is one long vacation. Mm. So most of the guests that were in there were from overseas. They're all, you know, on vacation. New England. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of Ohio. Oh, really? Okay. So the biggest thing for them was, Hey, these people have come and this is not about how much money they're going to spend. This is about giving them the best possible vacation dining experience, something that they think back to and will remember and never forget. And you are part of that. Okay. Process. So I really like that associate empowerment and feeling like we had a voice. At, yeah. at the time, I was just a server. I, I eventually uh, started to rise in the ranks there before I, you know, my my destiny brought me back up in Richmond. But that so I, I turned thirty down there, and I knew I could be a server for the next four or five years, and you know, make great money and live down there by the beach but i said you know what i want to i want to invest in myself and i i love doing this i had done it i done my businesses i had done a couple businesses i've been a consultant um what were your businesses i'm curious i had a it was called sight and sound multimedia so we would go into a restaurant and do the sound system and set up oh, the cool. tvs and at the time that you know that was wi-fi was sort of new and so we were helping people understand how to use wi-fi this was back in 04 and 05. Okay. Uh, and I did that because, obviously, I, I didn't love the 9 to 5 aspect. I tried that work for Capital One as an IT consultant. And it just I just didn't vibe with it. I, I was always working a few nights a week at a restaurant around town. And, again, so by the time I decided to sell my house in South Richmond and move to Florida, I was 29 years old. Okay. I was working for Fleming's a few days a week. I was working for Tommy Bahamas a few days a week. And I, I remember I was... I was living with this girl at the time. She was in the restaurant business and she was always frustrated with the way that her managers were running, was running the restaurant. And I said, you know what? This is how I would do that. If I was, if I was your manager in this specific restaurant, I said, I want to affect change. 
I want to get into management. I want to be a leader of this experience. All right. You got to go deeper there because uh, sure. you said you, you were talking about how they were doing things and how you would want to do things. So give me a specific example without naming names or restaurants because I don't want to blow anybody up. Sure. Uh, and when you, when you tell us this, make sure you move this mic a little bit sure. closer because uh, you're dropping gold on us right now. Don't be afraid to, to grab it and just do the, one of these things. Put it like right in front of you because um, you're giving this great advice. So give me a specific example of a conversation you had with your girlfriend and what wasn't going right and what your advice was or how you, you think things should have been. Well, she came home one night and was complaining to me that her manager had kicked a guest out of the restaurant because the guest got upset that they couldn't accommodate their dietary needs. Okay. And after having an argument about the specific dietary needs of, I think it was this guest child, the manager was like, you know what? We can't help you. I think you should find another place to go dine. And I, and I remember thinking that that was totally unacceptable and that if he had to get in his car and drive up to Publix to get the ingredients they need to prepare this guest the meal, that's what he should have done. Yeah, absolutely. Essentially, restaurants are just selling groceries. It's a repur- repurposing groceries. <laughs> yeah, just right? make it happen. And making money off yeah. of it in the meantime. Uh, and there's, you know, there's there were dozens of examples of, of that in my past, and I started looking back upon where the guest was not the focus. It was always taking care of the business first. Okay. And I started to realize that if you don't take care of the guest and you don't empower the associates to take care of the guests and be a part of that process and give them the autonomy to let their personality shine, I mean, you, like you said earlier about giving them the tools. So you yeah. give them the tools. I always hire on personality. You train anybody how to you know, go through the ABCs of waiting on tables. And then what, what you get is you, you get servers giving experiences versus servers becoming order takers. And that was something, like I said, I, about affecting changes. I wanted to teach people how to do that and be themselves and be unique and be dynamic in front of the guests. Okay. So uh, I love this idea of not losing the sense of self and that sense of autonomy and letting the true self come out. But one of the things that these... Um, the Tony Bahamas of the world, the Flemings of the world, the corporate operations of the world are really good at is creating those systems, processes, procedures. And that's why they're able to create so many locations because of the, of the consistency of the order. So where do you draw the line? At what level do you say, okay, we have enough system processes, procedures. Now it's to the point where we're sacrificing the human element. Like where do you draw back on those systems so they don't smother out the, the human element there? Well, I think you focus on the human element first. You, you, you create your systems to, facilitate that individuality versus box it in. So what we do at E is we don't give, there's no script that we don't say, Hey, make sure you introduce yourself as soon as you get up to the table. Maybe you do it when you're leaving. You know, we want to, we equip them with hundred percent chef knowledge. So they're going to the table feeling really confident about all the, the dishes on the menu. They feel really confident about the beverage program they feel really good that we that they know that we've got their back. They've got really good support structure. They're all work well with each other. I and mean, we have nine different concepts. They're so different. You know, Boulevard Burger and Brew, that check average there is $14. At Red Salt, it's 65 Yeah. But you would, as a diner, you would have a very similar experience in both spots because the culture is intact. And it's very, it's, it, we would like to think it's identical. So when you're talking about Flemings and Thai Bahamas, what they, how they reproduce that is by saying, this is what you need to say every time you come to the table. Mm. You need to paint a picture. You need to use descriptive words. You need to elaborate more on the, the dish description. And you will always want to make sure that you're suggestively selling. 
So the fundamentals of that are really good because yeah. psychologically it's effective. No one likes to be upsold. Some people are susceptible to it, but at the end, psychologically, there's some, there's some, there's a thought in their head that they're being manipulated, yeah. right? So instead, is I tell the staff, I said, look at who you're waiting on, right? If it's four businessmen, that's the type of approach you want to take an approach where right, you're going to suggest the tomahawk steak, maybe throwing some surf and turf rolls to accompany that. If it's a young couple on a date. You're not going to try to upsell them to Grey Goose Martinis. You're going to talk about how awesome your rail is and you have deep Eddie Vodka and it makes a great highball. Yeah. Right? So they know that, hey, wow, that, that server didn't try to you know sell me the Louis Trey one ounce pour. Instead, they found an awesome $12 you're pour. You're not trying to upsell. You're trying to add value. Suggestively sell. Yeah. You suggestively want, sell. But you're, you're yeah. not making it to the point where you're looking out for your best interest you're looking out for their best interest yeah, and it's not about check average so building. how do you how do you switch that flip or switch that switch in your mind how do you swip, flip that switch in your mind okay. to get out of that place of i'm not here to look out for me but i'm here to look out for them and ultimately what ends up happening is you come out on top because it's you know well the, the guests leave and, and and whether they whether they know it consciously or on or subconsciously they feel like that dining experience is so much better than the experience when they go to those corporate restaurants where the, the style of service is so robotic mm-hmm. and so repetitive. So it does work in some ways. And we, I try to take a lot of the stuff that I learned working with those larger companies and use some of the backbone in that. But it is a very organic approach with eat we really focus on the again the individual yeah and we once you get once you're out of training at any of our concepts what you are is just a better version of yourself in terms of being able to get in front of people mm. i think again when i told you if i could go back and study psychology i it took me so long to get into the minds of all of the personalities and age groups of the people that work with us and it was really, really, really arduous process and sometimes frustrating because I thought I would break through an understanding of how to approach people and how to talk to people. And I realized I had so much more to learn. Okay, I want to go deeper here. So why is it so important to get in the mind of the people that work for you? Take, what do you mean by that? Well, empathy is extremely important, especially with the millennial generation. Everybody, ever, so the, the focus on the individual is definitely, the, that's the biggest theme of. Okay, what is empathy, just in case uh, somebody here is not familiar? So, empathy versus being so, no, people know what, is, what it's like to be sympathetic for yeah. somebody, right? Empathy is to understand where they're coming from, yeah. right? So, you try to put yourself in their shoes and from their perspective. How are they, how are they approaching this situation, whether it's it could be in the restaurant or maybe it's outside in the in the in the in their personal life, em- empathy is extremely important. And by empathy, you allow them to have a voice. You always have an open door, and that creates confidence and it creates sincerity and it creates communication. Mm, yes, absolutely. Uh, the way I like to think of it, sympathy and empathy get kind of confused a lot. Sympathy is the idea of you've been through that experience so you know exactly what they're feeling. You can sympathize with them. Empathy is I've, I don't know what you're going through but I can imagine. I can put myself in your position and know what you're going through even though I've never experienced it. It's just to be understanding and right? just in and how, an open mind. So how do you get empathetic? What's, what, are, what are the keys to, to opening yourself and understanding the other person? Where do you come from? The first thing you do is you stop thinking you know everything. Mm. 
right? Stop, stop thinking that you, because you've been through something similar to that, that the way that you experience it is going to most certainly be the way they experience yeah. it, right? Yeah. So do you have to throw that out the door? Say, okay, their, their, their perception of this is just going to be different. And they, I have to be understanding of the notion that the way I perceive, in this case, the guest experience might be different than the way that Sheila, the bartender. So I, my job is to make sure that we're on the same page or as close to that mm-hmm. as possible. So, you know, my title is the director of hospitality and marketing. And six months ago, I was sitting there talking with Chris Sway. And I, I told him, I said, I'm really more like the director of stuff. <laughs> and uh, he uh, got business cards made for me two weeks ago. I actually saw one of your and business And it said cards. director of stuff. And it's a, it's a really funny joke. But then I realized that I needed to keep, I needed to focus on the fact that I need to be more lighthearted and have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that's really important is that maintaining a sense of humor, not yes. taking yourself too seriously, and understanding that for a lot of these kids coming through here, they don't know what they want to do with their lives, right? So you want to make sure you foster a work environment that's fun, maintains that sense of humor, but you have that backbone, professionalism, knowledge, confidence, and you know you have that... You have, they need to know that you're there for them. It's not like an, a top to bottom approach is that the triangle or they say the pyramid is flipped upside down and you're at the bottom yeah. and the associates are up above you and you're there to support them. Yes. And then above them is the guest. Mm. So you have the guest at the very top and everything down to you is to foster that positive experience. Man, I love what you're giving us right now. And to kind of really paint this picture, to, to, to really make this picture come into full frame, who were you before you had these certain values, you learned these certain levels. Like, take me through the transformation of what you were when you had it wrong. Because it sounds like you kind of learned this over time. You mentioned that you would have studied psychology, so it you, you took you years to figure this stuff out. So what was your approach when you were still kind of green and, and not really full into where you are today? Well, I, when I transitioned from server to manager, the, the first thing you have to learn is that you, you always, I felt very confident that I was able to give a guest the best possible experience possible. And so if I just taught someone to do what I do in the exact way that I do it, then I would just replicate a bunch of me's that were going to go around and, you know, it would, it would create an environment where of success. But that wasn't the case because per, everyone's personalities are so different. I was getting frustrated and often losing my temper because I failed to be proactive when communicating with the, 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 kids that I was managing. Instead, I was just I was extremely reactive. I was waiting for something to happen and then I was jumping on them. So, catching them doing things wrong versus catching them doing things right. So, I, I just totally started thinking about it differently. I remember I, I, I bit off the head of this kid. Oh, man. His name was Bryce. He was a good kid. He was working for me at Short Pump, uh, the Firebirds at Short Pump. And he was arguing with me. And he, and he wouldn't he wouldn't stop arguing with me. Finally, I was like, you know what? If you say one more thing, you're going to be, I'm going to send you home and we're going to you know, have to have a serious conversation whether you have a, a place here anymore. And like, I remember hurt his feelings so bad because he felt so strongly about what he was saying and I wasn't listening to him. What was the argument? Do you remember what the argument was around? I'm curious. I, it was more like a process of when something should get done. I wanted to do it the way I was told it was supposed to get done. I wasn't listening to him. I wasn't trying to see his side of it and ultimately he was right he had yeah. his idea was better than mine and i didn't want to admit it and that's why i got mad oh man 
That's just a huge. I mean, one of the biggest things I've, I've picked up from doing this podcast is you have to be open to the suggestions of the people that are on your team. Why limit that brain power? Why not have access to that? Those you, you said earlier, you have five hundred people working for you. Right. That's five hundred minds. That's the power of five hundred minds that could potentially see something a different way, a unique way, a new angle that could have a drastic impact on the way you do things in your business. So why not open yourself to that potential? Why why be so strict? Why why try to force round pegs into square holes? Like, you know, you need to, these people, like you mentioned, everybody's different. Everybody has their unique, you know, strengths and weaknesses. Why not open yourself up to those strengths and weaknesses? It's definitely about ego. You think you know, you think you've got it all figured out. I thought at 31, 32, I had two years of management experience under me. I thought I had it figured out. But even now at 41, I feel like I'm maybe halfway there. Mm. So it takes a, you have to, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, you you have to stop and you have to listen and you have to be open-minded about what they're telling you. Yes. You cannot think just because you've been doing it one way and it's been working for however many years that it can't get any better. Because the thing is, like you said, that brain power, that different perspective, especially from younger people, their their experience is so much yeah. different. But it we have to start accept we have to start accepting, especially the managers that have been in this for a while, that you have to adapt. And once you learn how to adapt, then they understand that you're there for them and they understand they do have a voice and that they can, again, affect change. This all goes back full circle to that guest experience and finding a way to say yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you have to find a way to say yes to them, too. And you have. Why? And, Why is it so important that you say yes to your employees? It's important that if, well, first of all, if you just react with a no, you're not, you're doing, you're negating all those things that we're talking about. Finding a way to say yes. So a server comes up to me and says, I don't have Friday and Saturday night shifts. Can you give them to me? So in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, I do the schedule based on performance, attitude, and ability. And I'm not going to say, well, you don't have the ability to be to have a Friday or Saturday night shift. That is counterproductive. In the past, I would just internalize all this information and be like, you know what? We're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. So what I found is that you need to tell them, all right, this is how you're going to get to your Friday night, Friday and Saturday night shifts. We're going to sit down. We're going to work on your strengths. Yes. We're going to make you feel more confident at the table. We're going to give you better time management skills. We're going to see that in practice. And once you realize that, we're going to give you the shifts that you yes. want. Yes. Man, I love it. So you're not saying no. You're saying yes. You're finding a way how yes. we're going to do it. Right. So it, it's, it's a yes. And this is what you can do. To make that yes happen. Uh, so you're not just shutting them off, but you're giving them goals. You're helping them grow personally. You're helping them become a better right. uh, whatever the it is they do. Yeah. So how do you tr- – I'm curious. How do you track their progress? Is, are there systems you put in place to to see where they are as professional, as a as a, a growing uh, t- team set, member? Set small goals. Okay. So w- one, one goal at a time. So in the next 28 days, Tom, the server, we're going to focus on time management for mm-hmm. you learning how to get more done with less time because your personality is so great when you're at the table you're blowing you're 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 blowing them away you're doing a great job but the problem is you don't you you anchor down too much at one table and another guest suffers we need to learn for you to be able to you know pop away from one table and and make it happen to another table and you know you're taking four trips to the kitchen for something you could do once so let's focus on time management for you and it takes about 28 days to form a good habit okay and after about four weeks you sit down with them and say how do you feel do you feel better yes i feel better all right no i'm still need to work on this and then you know you reassess that goal 
um, you have to spend the time. You can't just show up <laughs> to work and you know dictate how everything's going to be and then just expect it to, to work out. Yeah, but do you set time aside? Do you guys have like a three-year review or sorry, a three-month review or a six-month review where you set up opportunities to give them yeses? So we do they, evaluations every 90 days. Every 90 days, every three months. And, and you know, maybe... It, not like clockwork, to be completely honest, because we are, again, we're a family-owned restaurant. We focus on the personality, focus on the individuals. Sometimes those systems do fall through the cracks. And now that we're at nine restaurants, we're understanding the importance of, of some of those systems. Yeah. And you know, we brought in more help to ensure that the management teams have the support they need, and we're developing them and putting them on their own development track. Because when they're being developed, it shows them the importance of developing the people that they're managing. Mm. And it is imperative that you focus on that development. Everybody wants to be developed, whether they know it or not. Everybody does. You're so right. We spend our whole lives being developed, getting graded, and making progress. Think of like the grading system through like from elementary school all the way up to high school and college. Like we need to know where we are, how we stand. If we're getting an A, B, C, like we need to know if we're growing and getting better. We need to know. We need to know. You need, need to, to communicate know. this. Stuff you need to people. set goals and you need to provide feedback. So. Yeah. Awesome stuff, man. Um, so just kind of, we, we kind of got really deep in this. I usually take these conversations very chronologically, but you've been dropping gold on us. So I've just been letting you go, man. I've I'm been all over the place. I've been loving That's every second me. of it. Yeah. So just to kind of summarize the, the big takeaways of this conversation, this this little uh, segue we took, uh, the, the, the power of empathy, uh, really, really seeking to understand before seeking to be understood, which is one of the seven habits of highly effective people. Stephen R. Covey, a uh, great book there. But, great book. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But really seek to understand, have fun, because if you're not having fun, people are going to pick up on that energy. It doesn't matter what you're saying, what you're doing. you got to be having fun, because if you're not having fun, no one else is going to have fun. And right. then you're there for them. Find a way to say yes to everybody, not just your guests, but your employees, and make it about them growing. Right. Big takeaways from that conversation. So I don't think we've gotten to the point where you joined the Eat Partner or Eat Restaurant Partners group yet. Uh, you're still in. You're still talking about the, the things you picked up from. Well, we... we talked about how you're doing things here today but as far as this, the chronological path um how did you find this opportunity here in richmond you came back why did you come back so i was down in sarasota working at time bahamas and the, the opportunity to get into management was there but some things came up in my life that were pulling me back to richmond so i you know i got on monster.com at the time because that's all there was back then and 2009 this is 2008 okay yeah, yeah, 2008. Actually, no, I'm sorry, it was 2007. I, you know, at this point, I just forget about all that stuff. It was 2007. I'd, I'd been down there for just about two years. I, I just turned 30, and I was I decided this is what I wanted to do. Um, and I knew that. I didn't want to focus on any of the other ideas I'd Side had. Side note, dude, you're a great-looking 40-year-old. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> I, I was thinking you were in my age. I'm not trying to hit on you or anything no. like that, but, you know, just saying, damn. Yeah. You must be happy because you age get, well. I don't get any sleep. Yeah, sleep and no sleep and stress somehow makes maintains my. my youth. Sorry, did I totally throw. <laughs> no, not at all. No, you're, you're Keep cool. Keep going. <laughs> so I was I, I got on Monster.com and I saw this job for bar manager in Richmond, Virginia for for Firebirds. Yeah, and I did a phone interview and then I was up in town for a wedding. I did it. I did a face to face interview and they offered me the job that day. I told him I needed a little while to think about it. So I came back down to Florida and I made the decision that I was going to pack up everything, move back to Richmond and put down roots here. Um, I ran the short pump firebirds, which was a $5 million a year store. And I learned a lot 
about managing people. It wasn't about the business side of it. I, I, that I'm very fortunate comes naturally to me. The, the guest focus mm-hmm. was just something that always was just like inherently part of who I am. But in terms of managing people about everything we were talking about, I learned a lot. I, I grew a lot as a person and I opened up their Southside location in 2009 and decided that I wanted to get out of corporate restaurants. What was it about the corporate scene that just didn't resonate with you? I was tired of not having a voice and seeing a lot of things that I wanted to change and I felt like would have been better for the business and ultimately better for the guests. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, that's a reciprocal, circular type of self-reinforcing, yeah. uh, you know, energy. If you can create that momentum, then you create success. And they just didn't recognize that. And it wasn't just about me. I could see that the, a lot of the managers were being stifled and we were just placeholders. They weren't giving us developments. They weren't giving us path of development. I remember my area director told me that I was going to be in that position indefinitely unless I wanted to move. And I didn't want to move. And that was not a good motivator for mm. me. Like, oh, I'm going to be stuck at this $55,000 a year job forever unless I move. Mm. And my family's here. You know, the people I love. I, and I, I knew that I wasn't. Even if you moved, you'd be making more money, but you're still going to have that same sense of not growing or not necessarily be able to contribute, change things on a big right. scale because you can't. Because if you change right. one thing for your store, you got to change it across the board. Right. And, and I, at the time, I was really into beer before it was popular to be into beer. And we were running like Miller Lite, Bud Light, Sam yeah. Adams, Lining Kugels. And this I, wasn't resonating. I said, hey, guys, let's get some local beer on tap. There's a couple new breweries that no one's ever heard of. I think. The, I think our guests would respond positively and they didn't want to hear it. So my father was going to this restaurant that had opened pretty recently called Osaka. And he told me one night, he's like, they have the best steaks in the city and they have amazing sushi. And I was like, all right, I'll go check it out with you. So we went down there, we sat down we, and he ordered up, remember we go to a New York strip and we ordered a bunch of rolls. And this guy came by, um, good looking Asian guy came by and asked us if we wanted to get a bottle of the wine. And we hadn't even thought about it, and, and he just, for whatever reason, came up and said, and told my daddy he'd seen him there before, and he was super friendly, and he was super approachable, and we ended up having like a good 15, 20-minute conversation with him about wine. He told us he was the owner. Uh, he told us a little bit about his uh, you know, experience in the restaurant business, and of course, this was Chris Sway. And over the next six months or so, I would visit Osaka just to see him. I really liked the culture of the restaurant. He opened up another kind of like a, a little sister restaurant called Sushio. And that was right by my house. And I just started visiting there a lot. It was where I went when I wasn't at work. Um, one day uh, he called me and said, the general manager while ginger is transferring, would you be interested in interviewing for the position? And I was so flattered that he even thought of me. And, you know, I interviewed, I remember I sat down and interviewed with him. I interviewed with, at the time, Ren. He was he just been became the director of operations back then, and then one of Chris's friends that was just I guess a, a, one of Chris's mentors and buddies, and that's so they grilled me for two hours on the couch outside of Wild Ginger. And I, I remember thinking, man, that's that was the toughest interview I'd ever been in. And the next day, Ren called me and said, "You want to meet for lunch?" We met for lunch at Kona Grill. And he said, "What made real- this interview tough, though? Get, get into the specifics." They start. The they didn't ask me about the restaurant. They were asking me. It was like behavioral questions. Like, tell me about some tough relationships you've had in your life, and what do you what have you done <laughs> to get 
to get through them. Yeah. You know, tell us about, you know, what people, uh, you know, what, 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 what would people say about you if you weren't in the ring? What's the one question that you can think of uh, that they asked you in your answer to it, reflecting back at that time? Can you think of one? Yeah, I did. They, they told me, they told me, tell us a time where you had a, a, a trying employee and how did you coach them to success? And it was, I, I went to that story about Bryce and how he taught me how to communicate better mm-hmm. and to listen mm-hmm. and that I was the trouble. I was, I was the source of the, mm-hmm. of the, of the trouble in that relationship. And it taught me that I, I, as a manager, I'm not always right. Mm-hmm. And that by apologizing to him and telling him that his idea was indeed really good and I should be more open to it. I, I think that they saw that I wasn't some, you know, autocratic manager that just, you're going to throw the keys of the building yeah. of a two million dollar year restaurant, and they would probably be okay. Yeah, and plus, it's just self that right there is self awareness. That's being able to swallow your pride in recognizing that you were wrong in that situation to reflect back at it to know what the truth of the situation was, and that at, is at the peak of emotional intelligence is self awareness, uh, knowing your surroundings, knowing what's going on, knowing your impact on others, right. and that to them must have been like gold or like just music to their ears. It, I, I mean, it, it definitely resonated with them. I. I think that what they saw was somebody that was imperfect, but also really understood the Anonymous. human side yeah. of running a restaurant. And I was, I was, I was really proud to join the Eat Restaurant team. And at that time, it was only three restaurants. And since then, I've, you know, I opened up Blue Goat, which is now Beijing on Grove. I ran that place for about 16 months, and it was the talk of the town. It was the first sort of farm-to-table gastropub experience in Richmond. And then we opened up Fat Dragon and Scott's Edition before Scott's Edition was even a thing. Just like a warehouse district that only people walking to and from the bus stop from from the Greyhound bus station to Broad Street. And, you know, it was underdeveloped. And we we were definitely a part of making Scott's Edition a thing. And, I, again, something I look back on very very fondly with a lot of pride and I by the time we were looking at opening up Food Dog Chris was bringing me in to the developmental side of conceptualizing how a many new years restaurant. is this? this is 2009 to 2000 yeah so so we're opening up Fat Dragon in 2012 so and two or three years basically you went from they brought you on as a manager I was the GM of Wild Ginger okay, I, was the, as a GM. I was the GM okay. of the Blue Goat I was the GM of Fat Dragon by the time we opened up Food Dog the idea that I was going to run it for about six months and develop somebody and then we already had our next project slated and you know, I still I was just a just a like an opening GM. So you were the opening GM where you got the the restaurant to the standard, and then you would train somebody up to your standard, to your abilities, and then you would go on and work on the next project. My strength within Eat historically has been people development. So getting the right people for the concept, finding the right fit. So you know that Goldilocks scenario where it's just right, it's not yeah. too hot, not too cold, not too soft, not too hard. I was able to produce these teams of really great talented people that were doing it for us and just knocking it out of Dude, the park. You know you can't just say that and not go deeper into how you develop a team. Give us some spe- some specifics on how you build these teams, how you recognize strengths and weaknesses, and like some things we can replicate in our own businesses to, to get those teams built. So spend a lot of time reading resumes, but don't discard the resumes that don't have a lot of restaurant experience. Mm. See what they have to say. Try to see the personality on the page. Yeah. So 
I spent about two or three weeks cultivating these resumes. And then I spent three or four weeks interviewing. So we have a concept in mind. So Fat Dragon, so Chinese Kitchen and Bar. It's in a warehouse district of Richmond. Um, we knew it was going to be urban and chic, but it, it's unpolished. So I wanted people that reflected that area, that demographic. So we don't care if you have tattoos or lip piercings or if your hair is blue or shaved or if you're a guy and you like to wear lipstick. Like that's that We embrace all of those, those differences and diversity defines Eat Restaurant Partners. And mm-hmm. I think I wasn't scared to look at the, those personalities and say, you know what, There's a, here's a lump of coal. I can shape this thing into a diamond, no problem. And I, I had the faith in myself to make it happen. And I also really enjoyed that challenge. So when bringing in all of these people and interviewing and spending all this time, I tried to form the best possible group of people. And I would sit down with them in orientation. You know, you have like 26 people at Fat Dragon that are training and say, None, all of you people right now, you're all strangers. None of you know each other very well. But if you look around, I can tell you in three weeks when we're done with training, some of these people are going to be the, your best friends for the rest of your life. And I enjoy watching those relationships develop. And I, I shape the training around that to try to develop their relationships with each other. So a lot of the workshops I put together during training forces people to get out of their comfort zone and establish relationships, learn how to communicate with strangers. It cultivates them to becoming better uh, uh, ambassadors for that guest experience. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of all over the map. But no, man, I love it. You're giving us gold right now. This is great stuff. So uh, I think the, the original question was how you build these teams. One of the things I think it was worth pointing out, too, is that with the uh, unique concept of every location you guys open, you can really get super – you can find out the demographic of that sp- specific neighborhood and start there. It sounds like you start there. Like, where are we and what does this neighborhood need and, right. and how can we match that neighborhood and work backwards from there. So you're starting with the guest, the end in mind, the guest, and when working back there and hiring people that best suit the concept and that demographic, the psychographics of the specific area they're in. A lot of times the the real estate and the location dictates the concept and then the concept dictates how we form the team. Mm-hmm. So at the time, you know, seven years ago when we were opening Fat Dragon, Richmond was just starting to become a, a foodie town, mm-hmm. right? For the most part, R- Richmond had been underdeveloped, and the focus was not on the guest experience. It was, it was again, it was always sh- a chef-driven mm-hmm. city. What ha- what we started to see is that it started to become more about the concept, about the environment, and about the buzz and that vibe that you could generate. Um, you didn't have to have a James Beard award-winning chef to make a restaurant successful. You just had to put all the pieces together mm-hmm. to create a fun, attractive place to come. Um, so, again, the, the real estate, Chris would find a location. And he'd be like, let's do a Chinese food restaurant here. And then we would bounce around ideas. Ren and Chris now bounce around ideas about, all right, should it be beer-focused? Should it be cocktail-focused? Does it need to be balanced? Are we going to have... What's our price point going to be? And once we kind of hammer out those elements we try to make it fun and we try to make it appealing and then we bring in that crew to you know lift that up into the air and make it a reality you you talked a lot about how you find the people to you put the team together but once you put this team together how do you bring them up to the point where you're comfortable going someplace else and doing it over again 
How do you know when they're at that point? What, what key things are you looking for and what key things are you doing to grow these people, to groom these people, to mold these people? Well, in the beginning, it was very hands-on for me. So I was doing all the interviewing myself, all the training myself. I had very little support. Once we started to grow and become a little bit bigger, it became very clear that I needed to open up these restaurants with a management team. So I'm hiring people. I'm finding people that share my vision, share my passion, share that eat culture of, of, of yes and developing them to help me develop the team. Okay, so now, just to make sure I understand, uh, at first you were doing all this on your own, uh, hiring, finding these people, but over time when you found somebody who had what it took, that had the same kind of values, the same uh, motivational, I guess, uh, mentoring qualities about them, you would take them and say, okay, you're on my team now, and you're going to come with me, and we're going to put this, you put the, together, you put together a team to put together teams. Exactly. So I, I started to look for people that... I knew they had what it took, but they didn't even know it yet. Mm. When we opened up Boulevard Burger and Brew, the, there was this guy that worked for us for years. His name was William Query. And so much different than me. Just total opposite of, of me. He was um you know, he was a he was a real tough, he had a really strong presence and you know, when, when he walked in the room people would snap to it. But I saw something in him that I thought I was like, you know what, you give this guy the right tools you get you polish him just a little bit to understand how to work with people better. He'll be way better than I ever would. Mm. And I developed him at Boulevard Burger and Brew, and he was gangbusters for us. And he he made Boulevard Burger and Brew what it is today. Um, he's no longer uh, working with our group anymore. He got an opportunity to go do something really cool, and he took it. And super proud of him. And a lot of times, I know when I develop people management teams that they're not always going to be with the restaurant partners forever. I think we have extremely awesome management retention rate and associate retention rate. We have only lost maybe three employees since we opened this restaurant. How long have you guys been open for? May 24th. Usually you, usually you lose like 20, 25%. Because you're, you're filtering people out. You're trying to, you know, those early days, either you don't know a lot about the people you're hiring. You got to figure it out over time. So that's pretty great retention rate. Right I try there. to filter out as much as I can at the interview yeah. process. And I've adapted that behavioral interviewing process too, which really helps. It's you you don't just ask the questions about where they worked and what do they know about eat restaurant partners and what makes them a good bartender, good server. You ask them something that really digs down into their persona and you get honesty. Yeah. And then the training process itself too should yield to both the employer and to themselves whether it's a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. So by the time you open up, everybody that's still standing knows exactly what's expected of them and they know exactly what the vision is yeah one thing you mentioned earlier that i want to go deeper in before we move on is the idea of what you recognize this guy what was his name william query you, you recognize william as somebody who's got it and they don't even realize they got it and i feel like that's a quality of to see what people the potential and others before they even know their own potential is an incredible quality to have as a manager as an owner uh but once you recognize this in them how do you let them know how do you build them up how do you get to them to the point where they, they do have that confidence what's you, that process you tell them that you have faith in them mm. and, and you show it by you work you work side by side with them every day when you tell them this how do they change well you you focus on their strengths and then you have an open and candid conversation about their weaknesses and when, and when i say weaknesses i should say their opportunities for mm. growth in William's case, he had a hard time communicating with people. Uh, he knew what he wanted to say, and he, he just didn't know how to say it. And he 
naturally picked up some things for me. It wasn't like I had to say, this is how you talk to people. It was more of a, uh, we would talk about the fundamentals of communication and, and, and being there for the associates and also working with them. This is all goes back to that period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I've, I've worked with a lot of great people like William Query. I mean, I reel off a bunch of names, the, but the, most- I think the, the key part of that was when you see this in people, you got to let them know. You got to highlight it. You got to let them know that they have these strengths. And I think that's our obligations. When we see strengths in people, it's hard because nine times out of 10, like you don't know what your strengths are. You don't know what you're really good at right. are until somebody identifies it. Because for you, inside of looking out, it's all relative. You don't know what that feels like for somebody else. But when other people can observe you doing something and you're really good at it, you've got to let them know because they will never discover it on their own unless it gets highlighted for them. And then they, 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 they then they can lean into it, you know, and then you can build on these strengths and you can also, like you say, uh, highlight their, their opportunities where they could be even stronger. And I right. love that idea of just not saying it's a weakness, but like, here's where you can, these, 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 uh, skills you have, here's how you can make them even better. Right. Such a great way of looking at it and communicating those things. Um, you have to find core competencies. You have to say, all right, these are the eight core competencies that make, you're going to make you a great manager. Yeah. And you, here's where you exceed. Here's where you meet. And here's where you have derailers mm-hmm. that are holding you back. Yeah. And you can't give up on people that have, you know, they, they have all these great assets about them, but there's one or two things that are vexing and you feel like, oh, well, I can't, they're never going to be able to, I'm never going to be able to teach them how to run the back office. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to think about developing them into a manager. We've had some incredible lessons in this conversation regarding leadership, management, how to con- know yourself, how to know others, uh, how to mold others. One thing I really wanted to dive into is uh, how to create opportunity for yourself. Because you came on this team as a manager, as a GM, and now you're a partner. So now you have equity in the businesses, yeah? Um, yes. So, there's, 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 there's sweat equity there for sure. Well, the point being is uh, how do you create... Like you came on in three years, you went from being a general manager to showing your value, to being a person of value. Uh, and I, I think that your partners, uh, Chris and... Who's the other? Ren. Ren uh, definitely saw something in you and saying, hey, if we're going to grow this thing, we, we need this guy on our team. We need to give him incentive, reason to stay here with us because he's an integral part of, you know, we're, we're putting these, these concepts together, but he's really making, he's pulling them off. Um, so how did you, I mean, how, how do you get to that situation where you become a person of value, where you can create opportunity for yourself? It, was a, it wasn't the smoothest process, to be completely frank. What do you mean? What, what part of it was well, smooth? we were... We had opened up Boulevard Burger and Braille, and I realized that the way that the relationship was set up between Chris, myself, and Ren is that there were a lot of things that I still wanted to be included in that I hadn't had an opportunity, like the nuts and bolts of opening the restaurants. You wanted to learn. You I wanted you- to learn. I, I wanted to learn really bad. And Ren has a wealth of knowledge, and then Chris has this big vision this this ambitious plan for growing this empire so i told him i was like chris i want to seat at the table i want to share in the victories and i will more than happy share in the losses but i think you understand the value i bring and i i felt really passionate about what he wanted to do and yeah. i knew that i was like you know i told him i was like look i'll do this for the rest of my life and that value you bring is the team building the culture developing the the opportunity creating the the bringing people up and, and molding them to this place where you can then redirect your focus to work on new projects and yeah he took a chance on me and you know again the conversation it wasn't it was a f- multiple conversations before you know he decided to take that 
that leap of faith with me. Ultimately, what was it that made him take that leap? What What do you think put pushed him over? Uh, I think he knew that I was I would walk if I didn't get the opportunity mm-hmm. to have you know that little slice of the pie. Yeah, and again, I just. I, I felt like you know what I what I asked for was 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 very fair, and I think he just had to he had to sort of digest all that information. It took it took some time. It was a process, but in the end, I think it benefited both of us really well. And I still I'm still developing. Ren still develops me. I, I learn a lot from Chris. You know, probably my biggest weakness is sometimes I work in the gray area too much, especially with leading who I am as a person outside of work and who I am inside of work because I, I'm kind of like the the guy that everyone wants to like high five and say hi to and I have to try to make sure I'm present in all the concepts as much as possible but as we grow I can't I don't want to thin myself out because then I'll end up thinning out that culture piece but for me it's it was really important for Chris to take that chance on me and give me an opportunity to learn and affect broader change yeah. across the board. There's some things to point out that are worth pointing out here. You were a person of value. You didn't g- come to him and say, hey, I'm going to join your team, but like, I want to be an owner. Like, You proved yourself. Like, you, you worked hard. You developed these teams. You, you put the time in, and you proved your value to the group. Uh, and then he must have seen something in you because he, he knew that he needed you to, to be able to continue to grow. And, and really, at the end of the day, I think – uh, one of the key things, what what makes the most successful restaurant group so successful, is that that they share in the they share in the, um, you know, what's the word, uh, the equity. They, you know, right. you, you got to have skin in the game. People aren't going to work as hard for you as they will for themselves. So once they have skin in the game, once they have that sense of ownership, a sense of uh, autonomy, like they'll go as far as they have to to get the job done. Uh, I mean, I, you're right. I mean, to be completely transparent. So the way it's set up is, I mean, Chris is the Chris is the owner. He's the president. Um, Ren and I are directors, and I de- we're definitely partners with Chris. But I, I don't want I don't want to since okay. you know I wanted to go out there like I am not an owner. Okay, I'm I'm a partner. I'm a director. There's the way it's set up is, in my opinion, very fair. Yeah, and I do feel like I have skin in the game. Yeah, um, but you're sitting at the table. You I'm know, I'm sitting at the table, yeah. and and if I want to. If I if I'm a voice of dissent, sometimes I I know that if I push hard enough, that you know bef- before I became a, a a director, I think it fell on deaf ears. But now I know that if I'm like, look, we can't do that that concept over there. This is what we need to do. Chris listens, mm-hmm. and most certainly, I feel like I've made some decisions that have taken this company in nice. the right in the right direction. Well, sorry for making that assumption, but... Uh, no, I mean, it's alright. A lot of, pe- a lot of people Regardless of titles, know. you're dropping gold on us right now, man. This has been a great conversation. So, uh, so uh, anything else you want to discuss before we move to the speed round? Anything, I don't want to cut you short. No, no. I'm, yeah, let's, let's do the speed round. There is one more question I did want to ask yeah. that I made a note earlier, and you said that we have a culture of yes. Right. When do you say no? Inevitably, there's a time you have to say no, uh, and I, I'm right there with you where you sure. want to kind of embody this culture of yes and do whatever it takes to make the guests happy. But there are there, there does come a time where you have to say that is not yeah, okay. I, well, I'm, I mean, it, the the culture of yes is only to foster the a positive guest experience. If there are times when you know you can't make the guest happy, you have to, sometimes you have to admit that. So, for example, a guest wants a, a reservation at Saturday night. 7.30 for 10 people. So 
I could say no, but instead what I would say is, I don't have anything at 7.30, but I have a table for you at 6 o'clock. To me, I'm still saying yes. I'm just not saying it. I am saying no to 7.30, but instead of saying no, I can't do that for you, I'm I'm saying, hey, I I have a great table for you at 6 o'clock. Yeah. You know, or if a guest comes in and says, well, I, I want two double Manhattans, well, that's against the law. So I, I, I don't, I'm not the kind of guy that's like, well, ABC rules violation says you can't do that. What we tell them is that, you know, I can make you a double Manhattan and when you're done with that one, I'll have an even better one waiting for you. You know, it's, again, it's the, the deli- it's the delivery. Yeah. But there, I mean, there are times when you have to say no. When a guest gets out of hand, you have to cut people that's off. That's kind of what I'm talking about. When yeah. people, when people are just not behaving well, uh, how do you get to that point where you have to politely, how do you politely say no uh, or maybe even ask guests not to be a guest. Like, break up with your guests if you have to. Have I've you ever had to do that before? I've had to do it a few times. And a lot of times when do we'll, you cross the line? What's the line that gets crossed when you know that it's, a, it's time to part ways? You have to deliver it very, with kid gloves. You have to say, you know, my job is to make sure everybody here is having a great time. Yeah. So you, the table over here, the guests across the dining room. And unfortunately, we've gotten to a situation where this has become a disruptive event and I either need to ask you to politely leave or no, let's let me give you another opportunity to understand where I'm coming from so we can try to turn this thing around because I want you to leave here happy. And that's my only goal. Mm-hmm. And some people hear that and they realize, oh wow, I am kind of being a jerk. I'm you know, maybe I shouldn't have yelled like that at the TV. And if that doesn't work, then you have to ask them to leave. But I tell you what, Eric, it doesn't happen that often and usually it's when alcohol is involved and you know, people aren't really thinking very rationally at yeah. that point. I think the the line like you mentioned, like your job is to make sure everyone's happy. Right. When one guest starts affecting and skunking out like a bunch of people around them because right. of the energy they're bringing, the the aggression, the rudeness, or whatever it is, and they're affecting everyone else's ability to be happy. That's the line. Or when they start uh, questioning the integrity of your employees, I think is the other thing too. Yeah, I mean the. That happens too. Because at the end of the day, if you know your team and you, and you got their back, like you got to back them up. You got to back them up. Yeah. If somebody's being inappropriate with yeah. a server, or bartender, we we politely ask them to leave immediately. Mm-hmm. We don't. I don't try to turn those situations around. Once they cross that line, I'll pay their tab. I say, sir, we've taken care of your tab, or ma'am, we've taken care of your tab. We would like for you to, yeah. you know, patron uh, somewhere else, please. Yeah. And you know, it, it it gets terse sometimes, and the situation can get stressful, but. They, they, I don't make them fight those battles. And mm-hmm. the managers know that too. If I'm in the building, I almost certainly had that conversation with the guests. But the management team knows that in cases like that, they, they're they going to take the bullet. Yeah. Right? Never throw associate under the bus. Awesome. One other thought that just came into my mind, and then I promise we'll go to the speed round. Sure. Uh, operating nine concepts. Uh, unique concepts. How do you be... How do you make your presence known in each one of those concepts? What's the secret to doing nine, being in nine different places well? Well, the, I think the, one of the key things is that when I walk into a, a place, I don't want the, the associates to get tense or feel like, excuse me, feel like in any way, oh, Staples is here. We need to, you know, we need to start doing something differently. I'd like to think when I walk in, they get a smile on their face and they know that I've got their backs. They're having a good time. I'm not going to mess with that. Um, I mean, I have to wear a bunch of different hats for sure. 
I can't wear, I can't go to all nine restaurants wearing what I'm wearing right now. I could probably go to five of them, but three of them, I would have to put jeans on, a shirt, and a, a coat even. Yeah. Right? So I do have to adapt to the, the concepts themselves, but I think having a presence in all of them as much as possible really does help. How do you balance that presence? Just work all the time. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> you, have to, you have to plan out your day. Yeah. You have to plan out your day and say, yeah. you know, when we had five restaurants, it was easy. I would spend, you know, I would just go to one for each day. Yeah. Right. Now that we have nine, I'll, I'll, I'll do two or three in a day. Sometimes I'll do four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, pizza and beer Richmond is, is brand new. So I'm probably spending a lion's share of my mm-hmm. time here. I'm just starting to go and spend some time working shifts in other restaurants you know, you don't want you don't want your you don't want the other restaurants to feel like they're on an island, and that's really important to know that you're there. And a lot of times, even if I can't physically be there, I'll reach out with a phone call or an email and say, "If there's anything you need, I'm here for you." And that helps. Chris, this has been an awesome conversation. I've loved every second of it. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, I have a question for you: How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry, with an estimated forty billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than five hundred and forty thousand calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based restaurantethics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there and we're back the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success probably my charisma Hmm. and uh, what is your biggest weakness i think we already mentioned that earlier sometimes i'm inward focused Right. Sometimes I probably do things that not necessarily are, are for the greater good. Maybe they only serve me. But I think the fact that you recognize that is a bigger step than most people with that same challenge. Right. I tell myself that, oh, I'm, you know, I'll rationalize why I make bad decisions sometimes, but I, I still do. I'm, like I said, I'm still learning. Yeah. yeah. We're always growing. We're yeah. always learning. Uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? I always ask, I always ask uh, interviewees, to tell me about a trying work relationship they had and what they did to resolve it. Mm. And you learn a lot about a person, especially if they give you examples. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, I one time I had this guy and he was being difficult. And, you know, I just told my manager to tell him to leave me alone. Like, that's not resolution. Yeah. No, they'll give me specific examples with names. They remember the time and, and, and exactly what they did. And then you understand this is somebody that knows how to adapt and they're dynamic and they're not afraid of confrontation and resolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? My biggest challenge today is cultivating good people. How are you overcoming that challenge? Just spending a lot more time 
developing people, finding people, empowering people, giving them a giving them a track for success, and being very frank and honest about it. I mean, transparency is very important out of the gate. All right, what's a track for su- success look like in this industry? When you're when you're pitching them this track of success, what's that look like? Well, you ask them what they want to do, right? You find out where they're coming from, and then you ask them, "Have you ever thought about getting into management? How do you feel about?" some taking on a larger role of responsibility and you you make them feel like they have an opportunity mm-hmm. and i don't say you make them feel you tell them that they have an opportunity i i don't want to hire anybody that doesn't want to feel like they have a chance to grow with us mm-hmm. sometimes they're great people and i really like their personality but i know that they're when they graduate from college they're going to go to california to study anthropological yeah. philosophy or whatnot i mean I understand that there's there's a lot of finite relationships. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, almost like 90% of the people that get into this industry didn't have the intention to. So you can't write somebody off because they're studying what whatever. Exactly. They could be the next business partner. Right. They could they could have this potential because we almost never stick with what we do, we go to school for in the first place. But you want them to have a you want them to love their job yeah. and you want them to feel like they're part of something that's that's bigger than themselves gotcha. that they're that they're affecting. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is like a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Is what you're doing best for the guest? Is what you're doing best for the business? Mm. If you can say yes to both of those, then you're making the right decision. Nice. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? And so this is uh, something that's not common within the industry, but common within the four walls. Something you do to go above and beyond with service. That's a good question. I feel like there's a lot of little gems. I think one thing that we do that's that's really really important is to make sure we tell them always make eye contact when with, when you're within a certain distance of the guests. Mm-hmm. But when you're even closer, always share some words with them. Mm. What's um, the distance? The five ten rule. Have you so ever heard five of that? Feet, uh, speak ten feet eye contact. Yeah, I have. But, I've heard it called a few different things. And, and may, maybe that's not. Maybe that's maybe that's not eat specific. Uh, I think the eat specific thing is, again, telling them that they're autonomous and that we want their personalities to shine and that they need to be confident and sincere at the table side, but there is no again, there's, there's no script for them. Got you. Um, real quick, what, when you say you got to be autonomous, what's your, I mean, I know that word means uh, self-governing, but what does it mean to you guys here? It just means be yourself. Okay. Just be yourself. You know, find how you fit in here and, you know, grow with us, but never lose your sense of self and that identity. Got you. Uh, what's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? I mean, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Can you think of another one that's the most recommended book on the show? I mean, Kitchen Confidential. Okay. Well, what's the big lesson from Kitchen Confidential? I mean, I, I think just the story of, of being passionate about what you do. Got you. Uh, share one online resource or tool you leverage to educate yourself or to be more efficient or anything along those lines. Um, uh, restaurant tour. Uh, it's an online publication. I think it's called restaurant tour weekly. Um, I read that. I, I got a great article today about how to, how to empower associates to communicate with the management team. Um, and the article was don't tell them what's wrong. Tell them what you need. So don't tell them, hey, I'm, I'm not making any money because I'm not working Friday or Saturday night. Say, hey, I need 
to work Friday or Saturday nights. How do I get there? Mm. Right. So that was Restaurant Tour Weekly. Are you sure that's what it's called? Because I'm going to link to it. All right. So you might notice the music in the background is different because we, we stopped the recording to, to get those exact links for you. So the first one uh, you, you thought was Restaurant Tour Weekly is actually Restaurant News. Yeah, NRN. Nation's Restaurant News. Nation's Restaurant News. And the R- other... NRN.com. You just mentioned another one, too, while we're... Candid Culture. Candid Culture, the two yeah. resources you get. Really good for interpersonal communication. Awesome. All right. So the next question I have for you is, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls? Uh, like This is a POS system, reservation system, online ordering, or whatever, uh, that you're really excited about that you can share with our listeners. Toast, POS. We've been using them for about four years. We're putting them in all our micro stores we're i'm slowly replacing them and all of our new projects will get toast toast is great cloud-based but still really stable excellent metrics um very user-friendly very adaptable i couldn't say i couldn't say more about it it's an awesome pos yeah toast is uh, always recommended and one of the probably one of the most recommended if not the most recommended full service uh I call it full service POS, even though you can use it quick in anything. Yeah. But QSR it, delivery, yeah. um, very adaptable, great platform. There, past sponsor of the show. Oh wow, cool! So thank you, Toast. Yeah. Um, all right, this is the last question. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would they be? Tough one. Be honest with yourself. That's one. Never lie to somebody else. That's two. And care about people. I love it. Great stuff. Chris Staples, man, this has been an incredible conversation. You've dropped value bombs all over us today. Uh, We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator? Somebody you admire and believe must be made an example of on the show. I really respect Jessica and Josh Bufford. And they have a small restaurant group here in Richmond, and I love what they do, and I respect their wisdom and leadership in the restaurant community. Jessica and Josh Bufford, look out. I'm coming after you. And I let the folks at home know, how can we connect if we want to come join your team, uh, come come get mentored by you, or maybe just follow the, the work here at Eat Partners? Sure. EatRP.com. So that's www. Dot E-A-T-R-P dot com. Okay. And everything you need to know is right there. And do you have a social handle that you put out there? or um, There's a ton. There's a ton. <laughs> we do have an ERP handle, but we don't use it that often because people still identify with the individual brands. Yep. They know Eat. Now, in the beginning, we didn't focus on us being like a, a corporate entity. Chris thought maybe that yeah. would do us a disservice, but now we realize that it really helps. Yeah. So, uh, do you have your own personal handle that you put out there? Um, sure. I'm C Staples Drink. C Staples Drink. Okay. Yes. So, uh, just head over to the show notes. I'll have everything there waiting for you. And again, Chris, uh, thank you so much for sharing sure. your story. Your, thank you for having your, me. Oh, man. It was a pleasure. Your advice, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chris Staples. Dropping bombs of knowledge everywhere we looked. Great stuff. Uh, I love this idea of empowering your associates, uh, giving them the tools to be successful and existing to serve them and creating this philosophy of yes, not just yes to your guests, but yes 
to your employees and don't be so quick to smother their dreams. And if they have recommendations or thoughts they want to contribute, don't say, no, you're crazy. We can't do that. Say yes. And if you want to do that, here's how you can get there. I love that approach. Also, this idea of not necessarily having to be a James Beard restaurant to be successful, but just creating a place where people want to come, uh, creating an attractive space where people are happy and, and the entertainment's great and the, the energy's great. Uh, if you can pull that off, I I agree with Chris. That is more valuable than having the best plate in town uh, for sure. And then the last nugget that he dropped on us that I think is just really worth focusing on is this idea of gr- creating management teams. Uh, don't Don't just create employees, teams of, of people to work for you, but put together teams of people that develop other people. And I think that's where people re, you know, really start to take it to the next level. Uh, it's not about developing employees, hourly workers. It's, ab- it's about developing leaders that have this, the same skills, the same emotional intelligence that you have. But you got to create these people. You got you to let them know they have these skills. You got to bring it to the surface. And that's what great leaders do. So awesome stuff today. And like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Catchatori, and Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. I'm in Austin as I'm recording this. But by the time you're listening to this, I'll be in Dallas and Fort Worth. If you're in those areas, hit me up. I would love to to meet you and then i'm uh, gonna be continuing on to the northwest oregon seattle can't wait to get out there and really dig in deep uh and another thought too if you guys have any unique skills or uh interest in multimedia and you're passionate about the restaurant industry and you love what i'm doing here at restaurant unstoppable with my mission to inspire empower and transform the industry and you want to contribute I'm listening. I'm all ears. Uh, I want to grow this team. I want to transform the industry, and I cannot do it by myself. So reach out to me. Again, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable if you want to get behind the sucker. Uh, I think that's all for today. Uh, Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. And uh, hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, I'm going to be on Spotify and Google Play, too. Long overdue. Uh, So do check on those platforms if those are the platforms you prefer. Uh, All right, guys. That's all for now. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.